New York Times bestselling author and award-winning professor Urshad Manji. Joining Urshad as moderator, excuse me, as moderator is my colleague Karen Rossiter, who is a former AP teacher, Sphere alumni, and now Cato's manager and senior trainer for our Sphere Education Initiative. Cato's Sphere Education Initiative, I think Peter mentioned this, but I'm going to say it again, uh, engages K through 12 teachers and administrators from around the country. Sphere models civil dialogue and debate on key policy issues. Karen runs our Sphere on the Road program where she travels to schools to host in-person professional development for teachers and programming for students. As Peter mentioned yesterday, Karen was in Connecticut at St. Luke's School hosting programming for teachers and students. We are so pleased to have as our luncheon speaker, Urshad Manji, who is the founder of the Moral Courage Project, which educates academics, teachers, and most importantly, young people, on how to engage honestly on polarizing issues rather than canceling each other. Her latest bestseller, Don't Label Me, is a primer on how to achieve diversity without division. Urshad teaches how diversity should be taught the divisiveness of labels, and why moral courage, not cancel culture, is the key to honest conversations. Urshad's moral courage is designed as an alternative, a challenge to the current school environment of group identity and where young people are taught how not to be offensive. Moral courage teaches schools and students how not to be offended. This allows young people to learn from people with views that differ from their own without shaming or canceling one another. Moral courage is about honest diversity, which is about making each individual count. Urshad was a professor of leadership at New York University and now teaches with Oxford University's Initiative for Global Ethics and Human Rights. She is the first winner of Oprah Winfrey's Hutzpah Award for Boldness, Urshad and Moral Courage are great partners of our Sphere Education Initiative. Urshad presents and holds workshops at our Sphere Summits, providing tools and applications for teachers to model civil dialogue in the classroom on differing points of view, and offering an alternative approach to diversity and inclusion. Many of our Sphere alumni are participating in Urshad's Moral Courage Certified Mentorship Program and taking this approach to their school communities for adoption and school districts from, from across the U.S. are reaching out to participate in her program, Division Without Diversity. It has been terrific in becoming friends with Urshad and working with her. And please welcome Urshad Manji and Karen Rosser to the stage. Thank you so much. Well, we're telling each other that you're stealing our thunder. <laughs> Uh, well, this is so nice to be here. Thank you. Urshad, thank you for coming. Um, I know you're very busy, as are we at Sphere. Um, I'm just going to do a quick little intro, because I think, and then we're going to get started. But um, so Sphere has been traveling on the road, like Leslie mentioned, and we have been visiting schools, and we've been doing professional development for teachers all over the country. And there's been a lot of trends that we've noticed with teachers and the different schools. Um, so, Urshad, I know you have been traveling just as much and yeah. working with students, administrators, uh, teachers. What are you noticing? Okay, so, Karen, before I actually answer your question, okay. and I will, All right. I do have to give a shout out 
to Cato in general and to Leslie Albanese in particular because, uh, as some of you may have heard, there was a shooting in a subway station in Brooklyn, which is where I live, in Brooklyn. And when Leslie asked me, well, how do you plan to get to the restaurant? And I said, oh, I'll just take the subway. This was a few days ago. She said, no, 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 we can arrange for a car. I said, Leslie, it's okay, we'll do the subway. <laughs> Thank you, Leslie, for allowing me the peace of mind to text my family and say, I'm okay, and I don't plan on taking the subway in the coming days. So, well, with that in I mind. I remember that call, I was I on that call. I remember that call, yeah. <laughs> yeah. With that in mind. Yes. So you asked me what is it that I'm uh, picking up on yes, the um, in the various schools yep. that you know we do our work. Yep. I would probably answer with three F words. <laughs> the first is fatigue. Yes. Um, educators at all levels are exhausted, and not just by the chaos brought on by the pandemic, Karen, mm -hmm. but also by politics. Absolutely. That's number one. Number two is fear. Mm. Teachers and administrators are afraid, mm -hmm. not just of parents, mm -hmm. but of their own students. Mm -hmm. They're afraid of being labeled mm -hmm. for saying something offensive. And it reminds me a little bit, I don't want to be melodramatic about this at all, but it reminds me a little bit of, the, uh, of an article that I read in the New York Times just the other day about how uh, Russian students are snitching on you know, their, um, their teachers for not being oh, wow. for the war. Yep. And the third F word is frustration. Yes. Um, yeah. Teachers in particular are frustrated mm -hmm. because they don't believe their administrators have their back. And the truth is often their administrators don't have their back because those same administrators are operating from fear mm -hmm. and fatigue. Okay. Yeah. So um, this is one of the reasons mm -hmm. I emphasize to educators that the way we approach inclusion mm -hmm. uh, is psychologically healthy because it replaces fear with moral courage. Right, so I want to um, thank you for saying that. And like I said before, since I've been traveling as well, that fear word is the thing that I was thinking of. It comes up. So I went to a school in Pennsylvania, a big public school. I was at a smaller independent school yesterday, and I'm scared. There was a lot of the, or a lot of the comments I was hearing from teachers. Um, I am going to push back for a second. Uh, when you, you know, you're saying administrators. Um, I have seen a push recently that I think it's, it's gotten to the point now, though, that administrators are trying now. I think they realize it went from you know the classroom and the parents and the teachers, but I think the teachers are really pushing that, that administrators are trying. Um, I'm sure you do, you're probably seeing that too, but a trend that I'm seeing for Sphere is that we have curriculum developers, we have principals coming to events, we have heads of school coming to events, we have, uh, I'm working with two schools in New Jersey that their district people asked us to come to them. So I do think that might be a positive change. Um, speaking of positive, since we've heard some not all good news, but um, what are some positive things? We discussed one last week that you mentioned some oh, positive yes. things that could be happening in and, all of And this. this goes to your point yes. that there is a, uh, uh, something of a turnaround yes. happening. Yes. So um, increasingly, uh, not just public schools, but mm -hmm. public school districts yes. 
as much as independent schools are picking up on the work of diversity without division. As a matter of fact, I know that California has been shouted out a lot uh, <laughs> this afternoon, not always in a positive light. For whatever reason, uh, I have to tell you that um, our work mm -hmm. is receiving a disproportionate amount of take up from uh, California public school districts, the latest being Palo Alto Unified and Santa Barbara Unified. Um, so I, I, I'd like to think that we've gotten to the point where educators and administrators are recognizing that more us against them exactly. leads to more us against them. Mm -hmm. And that something different has to be done if only for the health and well-being Right. both of themselves and, of course, of the young people they're yes. teaching. And the education system that's, at this point. Because teachers are you know, quitting at alarming rates. Yep. So I think that that is why Moral Courage and Sphere, we're trying to help the teachers. Um, let's talk about why you're here. Uh, diversity without division is your organization's signature offering. So how does this differ from mainstream DEI? So um, this is just a, a quick shot of our uh, website, and you can see that um, you know in the in that top banner uh, there are a number of ways to um, to learn about diversity without division. This is a program that we run. My organization, uh, we run. By the way for K-12 schools, but increasingly as well for universities and colleges and now for corporations. And um, it is not led by ideology, it's led by science. Uh, it's informed by the science of how to bring people together, how to unify people in divided times. And we have three core tenets that we operate on. The first is uh, diversity without division rejects the labeling and shaming of anybody, no matter what group they are born into. Second, we define diversity mm -hmm. to include diversity of viewpoint. Why? Because individuals are not identical, even when they belong to the same demographic group. I happen to be Muslim. Does that mean that I you know, think the same way as every other Muslim? If you know my history, you know I certainly don't. And by the way, every other Muslim doesn't think like every other Muslim. And if that's true for this group of people, it's true for white straight guys too. We're individuals even when we belong to identifiable groups. And third, um, we, uh, we don't tell anybody what's okay to think or say or believe. We teach everybody how to think more clearly mm -hmm. about the situations that they're in mm -hmm. by lowering their emotional defenses right. so that they can actually learn from one another mm -hmm. rather than become more defensive and thereby <laughs> more dogmatic. And so as um, Leslie pointed out, we run workshops, right. we have professional development as well as student development and increasingly parent development. Oh, wow. And oh, we offer that. concrete <laughs> tools, techniques, and tips for how people can develop these skills to then be able to actually engage in constructive conversations about contentious issues. Um, we're not always gonna be there to lead the way. Uh, we want people to be able to do this from the, for themselves from the bottom up. So we teach those skills. I love the idea. I think you mentioned calling it like Legos, how you're trying to fit yeah, all those Lego right. pieces in. That's right. And that really sticks with teachers and actually myself. It's, mm -hmm. 
as a former educator, I think all of those pieces are just so important, but how do you do it, right? So Yeah, and we don't uh, offer a cookie cutter approach no. because every school has its own culture right. and so we've right. got a number of what Karen called Lego pieces or elements that we mm -hmm. offer uh, to schools and they can then construct right. those pieces into a journey that makes sense for them. Right, and I think that's one of the um, really best parts of your program. Uh, so how, do you, how are you planning to scale this? Because it's really needed, right? There's schools, there's so many schools that need this and so many educators that really um, not only need it for their own peace of mind, but a lot of um, school districts and other, uh, the administrators are saying you have to do this. So how do you plan on scaling this for everyone? So a couple of ways. One is that we have released an online course uh, called Diversity Without Division, um, introducing the moral courage method of communicating across divides. And so this online course is you know, pre-recorded, self-paced, on demand, and it teaches not just how to communicate productively across divides, but it teaches teachers right. how to teach it to their own students. Right. Um, I can tell you that one of the ways educators are using this online course, mm -hmm. and I love this, I wouldn't have thought of it myself, is instead of merely telling you know, their faculties and staff, enroll in this course, see you later. What they're doing is enrolling in this course as a cohort, right. and they all finish by a particular date, and mm -hmm. a few days later, they convene over snacks or a meal to mm -hmm. debrief about what they've Amazing. learned. Mm -hmm. And then they bring me in to uh, sort of, you know, do the finishing flourish, which is when they've got questions about how to practice this on a day-to-day -day basis, I'm able to share with them right. what other educators have shared with me about what works for them. So that's one way, that's you know, right, online, right? right? Yeah. The other way is um, we've just launched a program um, through our nonprofit um, which certifies public and other teachers as well as any individual who's interested, it certifies them to become moral right. courage mentors right. in their own schools, their own companies, their own religious congregations, sports teams, condo boards, wherever <laughs> human beings gather and ego gets in the way of healthy collaboration. That's right. And we've just launched our first cohort. As a matter of fact, Karen, can I have you turn around? Or actually, I you can, can see, see in front of you. I was like, isn't the, that a That's guy? right. You can see a couple of people, right? Because they are sphere participants. Yes. That's how they came to know of us. Yes. They applied, yes. excellent applications, yes. and they've been uh, enrolled now yes. in the course. Awesome. So, um, and by the way, the certification doesn't come from us, it comes from Oxford That's University. Right. That's right. So, so that like also that too, is right. very appealing to, uh, right. to, to teachers, both independents and uh, in the public school space. Right, right. I was, that's when I was looking. I was like, wow. And you know, the alumni that we have that went through your program and our Sphere alumni in general, um, you know, they stick with us. They yeah. come to more and more events. They actually are great um, advocates of our program. Uh, actually, one of your alumni are sending 10 of his teachers from his school now to Sphere. So, I mean, this really is a wonderful partnership. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a win-win. It is a win-win. Sure. Yeah. Um, so what's next for you, and what is your hope for the future of education? <laughs> My hope Society, for the future. Education. How much time do you have? <laughs> no, I'll, I'll answer it more specifically. Um, many of you know about uh, a seminal report that came out uh, in 2018 called Hidden Tribes. And it came out from a research group called More in Common. And what they found was that in America, there is a massive middle 
not extreme left, mm -hmm. not extreme right. This massive middle they called the exhausted majority. And the exhausted majority continues in survey after survey, not even just by this research group, but Pew and other research groups. It continues to um, indicate that it wants to find ways to collaborate across divides. They're not waiting for politicians to get it. They're wanting to do this in their own communities. Mm -hmm. So it's no wonder mm -hmm. that um, we're managing, as Moral Courage College, um, we're managing to develop collaborations and partnerships yeah. with uh, not just Cato, but um, some of you may have heard of an organization called the Society for Human Resource Management, uh, SHRM. Yeah. Uh, they are the world's largest association for HR uh, managers. Oh, wow, that is and, perfect. Um, I'll let wow. you in, but you can't say it beyond this room. Uh, <laughs> early next month, we will be announcing that they are our official distribution partners wow. to corporate America. What a great fit, though. Yeah, what wonderful a great fit. fit. Yeah. And uh, the other thing I just want to let you know is that even kids are now getting involved mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. uh, the work that we do. I just came back from an independent school with mm -hmm. which we have a partnership, mm -hmm. and there we have launched a student club called We the Plurals, like We the People. Mm -hmm. We the Plurals, and they're plurals because everybody is so much more than meets the eye. Mm -hmm. Whatever label my Don't brain label gives me. to you, yep, whatever <laughs> label your brain gives to me, yeah. I am so much more than the baggage, the mm -hmm. stereotypes that go with those labels. Mm -hmm. And um, we, the plurals, mm -hmm. uh, members of that club, are going to be learning over the course of a year the skills to um, uh, honor mm -hmm. human complexity and master healthy disagreement. Mm -hmm. And the way they're going to practice those skills is they're going to become mentors, right. both to their own peers mm -hmm. and to the student clubs that are cause-oriented in their own oh, schools. Awesome. And there will always be a slice of those plurals who really are keeners, God mm -hmm. bless them, and who want to become certified moral courage mentors mm -hmm. for their own communities beyond the That's school. What I was say. Yeah. Oxford University is more than happy to wow. have them step up wow. and uh, meet those standards, right. um, at which point they will be certified. Wow, imagine yeah. that on your uh, high school college application. Yeah, yeah, high school transcript. Wow. Yeah. And then you know what though? When they, then when they go to college, think about what they're bringing yeah. to that university and to that campus. Yeah. yeah. I hope you mentioned that during the summit this summer. Get the, oh, <laughs> I will. I will. Yeah. And Talk, by the way, let the other I, teachers I, know. I, I can't let this go only because we are in need of a little bit of help, and it's not financial. Um, we uh, the one area I was telling my seatmate Jay Lindsay the one area that we have yet to really develop traction right. yes. is charter schools. That's right. And I actually think that's only because um, there's not enough awareness within the charter school space right. about this uh, alternative approach exactly. uh, to, to inclusion. Mm -hmm. um, so I hope that those of you who are school choice advocates and may have networks uh, mm -hmm. that you can introduce us to, I hope you will. We'd Absolutely. really appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, I think we have um, a couple teachers or educators coming from charter schools this summer. So um, those of you don't that you, those of you who don't know, uh, Urshad came to our summits last summer, uh, and she was the hit of the summit. Every uh, the teachers lined up to speak to her. But even beyond that, so it's fun when you're here, and we appreciate you. But beyond that, um, I don't know if you know this, but you probably do. Some of the uh, department chairs even told me that they used your book, Don't Label Me, and they had a reading club, you know, a little book club with their department. 
Uh, so it was a social studies department here and there and an English department. And they all read it together, kind of like mm. you said, mm. when you went through your seminar. Right. And you know what those teachers told me? I saw them last week and they said, we never want to go back. Mm. We never want to go back. And I, I feel like, wow, for you, I just wanted to tell you that story you. because you know, they said their students, it's more of a brave space instead of that safe space. And they said, you know, they don't want to ever go back to the way their classrooms were. So I just wanted to let you know that and that your partnership with Sphere, again, this summer, I'm very excited. Yeah, uh, you know, last summer, our Sphere Summit was a little smaller because of COVID. Uh, this summer, we are expecting uh, a lot of people. So about 200 people each time, 200 educators each week. So um, I'm really excited that Urshad will be back with us. And now we're gonna open it up to some questions. Oh, we have a, oh, we have question, question. Um, I think I may have limited imagination, and so it would really help <laughs> me if you could talk a little bit about maybe anecdotes or, or little vignettes of how this seems to work in practice. Sure, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, in the course, the online course, um, we actually do a case study of productive disagreement. And it's between two young people, and this is, by the way, nothing is scripted. It's all in, you know, filmed in real time. Um, one of them is a hip-hop artist, a uh, black, young black woman who, um, who, whose grandfather was murdered by the KKK. And um, she vehemently opposes something that was in the Mississippi state flag at the time, which was, uh, you know, the, the, the slavery era symbol uh, of the Confederate battle flag. The other person is a young man, white guy, um, who is descended uh, from a soldier who fought on the side of the South uh, during the Civil War. And he uh, very much disagrees with this young woman. He says, this is not hate, this is heritage. And to her credit, um, she invited him to her backyard to sit at a round table, not a square one, where they could, you know, uh, meet each other eye to eye. And she starts by asking him a very simple question, a non-gotcha question. She says, how does that flag make you feel? And he replies, well, it makes me feel like I'm at home. And because she asks him a sincere question, he reciprocates, how about you? And she says, it makes me feel unwelcome even though I am at home. And over the course of the next three hours, they engage in a way that reflects the moral courage method of communicating across divides. And at the end of that conversation, he says to her, I went from being upset to being respectful to being supportive of where you're coming from. And afterwards, when she wasn't around, I asked him, what changed for you? He said, this is the first time in my life I have ever experienced this kind of respect from the other side. Mm -hmm. And then I pushed it a bit further, sir. I asked him, what do you mean by respect? Mm -hmm. He said, she cared enough about where I was coming from mm -hmm. to ask me rather than assume things about me. 
And it seems like such a simple approach. And it is. But getting there is not easy mm -hmm. because we actually have to master our emotional, uh, you know, sort of uh, a, a tumult that's going on inside of us in order to lower those defenses and ask questions rather than make statements. Mm -hmm. This is what I teach and what my team teaches mm -hmm. as part of the moral courage method. And by the way, for those of you who may be wondering, how did she know to do this? She was my student at NYU. Mm. And she remembered this. Mm -hmm. wow. And it got her to the point where later, she didn't anticipate this, he actually joined the movement to replace the old flag with a new one. And because they, meaning the movement, created relationships across divides, they wound up with a flag that actually uh, reflected uh, the Civil War as well. Two blood-red bars on each side of the new flag representing the North and the South. Just as a tip of the hat to those who really do feel that we have heritage, not hate. So it became a win-win. You can watch that conversation, can't you, online? Um, we, no? Yeah, I think it is online. I think it might um, be online, because so I've yeah, seen you can. it. I think yeah. you can watch it online. Also, I just want to throw out there that um, we actually use in actually some of our uh, sphere presentations just some of your guidelines mm. uh, for moral courage, for having a conversation. And the big one in the classroom, and also I think outside the classroom, is listen to learn. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what that guy, I don't think people, when you're on the other side and you're like this all the time, yeah. you're not really listening to them to learn. That's right. You're listening to them to respond. Yeah. And I think that that's what hits home, mm -hmm. actually listening to people. And then the other big thing I really love is that when you ask a question, have it be sincere. Like you're asking yeah. a question because you actually want to know the answer, right. not a, I gotcha, yeah. right? And I think that's where that guy felt that. Exactly and that, right. Oh, sorry. Uh, but that's, for me, that's really what has sunk in. And I try very hard to do that, but we also try to tell the teachers, you know, at the basic level, think about your questions, right? right. And think about listening and trying to help students actually listen to learn. Um, and so, we actually teach yes. how to distinguish yeah. between when you're listening to learn mm -hmm. versus when you're listening to win. <laughs> yeah, I think we've all been there. Oh yeah. Uh, any other? Oh, we have more questions. Sorry. It sounds like a wonderful, yeah, wonderful program. But I'm wondering which, what populations do you reach out mm -hmm. to? I can see it working very well with the top class of any school, but then you have a lot of classes with disciplinary problems in the classroom, and those disciplinary problems are not separated out, and they disrupt the whole learning process. Yeah, so um, this is one of the reasons I'm emphatic about bringing up that public school districts are beginning to adopt our approach to inclusion. Uh, these are districts that have disciplinary problems within their schools, for sure. And one of the things I point out to them is that, you know, uh, uh, sort of imposing from the top down uh, punitive measures uh, to kids uh, actually will only invite more backlash for you. What you want to teach them, I say, is that they can be heard. They can find ways of being heard when they master 
how to motivate others to hear them. And in case, you know, this re resonates with you, I'll bring up uh, that I always, you know, uh, note uh, what Bruce Lee, the martial arts icon, taught his own students. He taught them to be like water. And what he meant was, water always gets to where it needs to go, but not merely by crashing up against the rocks, where there's a backlash. Water uh, glides around the obstacles, it washes over the obstacles, it seeps through the obstacles. And he was teaching his students whom he knew would be in a confrontational showdown in actual martial, martial arts uh, matches. So when teachers learn to bring up these icons to their own students and teach them what these icons have taught about the need for grace, about the need to be agile, not fragile, that's when students realize, oh, wait a minute, this is not about being nice. This is not about compromising what I believe. This is about becoming effective so that I can get a hearing, even from those who disagree with me, including my own parents. I think we had a few other hands up. Yep, there you go. Um, oh, that was a very beautiful story, so thanks for sharing that earlier. Um, I'd like to get your thoughts on a um, thought process that I've had for a little while lately, which is that um, maybe for people who have, uh, you know, who promote, believe very strongly in tolerance and free speech, that maybe one of the problems we've had is the idea that um, sometimes being too tolerant for people who are intolerant is a problem. Yeah. Um, I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. Sure. Well, I'll tell you, I'll give you more than you bargained for because <laughs> 20 years ago, I came out with a book called The Trouble with Islam Today, and the subtitle was A Muslim's Call for Reform in Her Faith. And by the way, uh, Cato was the very first think tank that I presented my oh, case wonderful. for Islamic reform to. So again, thank you, Cato, <laughs> for being on the cutting edge. Now, the reason I bring this up is that I argued back then, we cannot be tolerant of intolerance. And in that case, I was referring to jihadists, right? And there was even back then a movement uh, towards relativism towards saying, well, they have their truth and we have our truth and, you know, what do we know? We're just Americans and we don't understand where they're coming from. Can I tell you something? I think I was too dogmatic. I was too dogmatic in how I approached my advocacy. I still believe that at the end of the day, we have to be careful not to tolerate intolerance, but in order to really understand whether somebody is being intolerant because they don't respect your, your, your life or whether they're being intolerant as a defense mechanism because they presume you don't respect them. Mm -hmm. That, I think, is where I could have used some kind of mentorship. I could have used some guidance back then and I didn't have it. Today, I give that kind of guidance so that young people understand. If, for example, they're a progressive activist, before you decide that the guy wearing the MAGA cap hates your guts, remember, he might be thinking you hate his. Reach out. Ask him a sincere question or five. 
you might actually find, <laughs> and probably you will find, that you are not so different from him and that his experiences are not your experiences and that had you had those experiences, maybe you'd be on his side. That's not to say, by the way, that you must agree with him, not at all. Listening is not the same as agreeing with, but listening humanizes him to you, and when he is human to you, he'll be more likely to humanize you to himself. Yep. We have a question up here. Oh. Um, I would say over the last two years or so, I've been pretty successful in not losing any friends or relationships <laughs> due to politics or yeah. current events. But the, I guess the problem that I have, it's, it's nice to respect other people's opinions, but when they are just absolutely factually wrong, and I'll give you two examples of facts where a lot of Americans are just plain wrong. One of them is that a lot of Americans believe that every year thousands upon thousands of unarmed blacks are killed by police, right. which the Washington Post has shown is demonstrably incorrect. And the other is a feeling on the part of a lot of Americans that um, a very, very large percentage of those hospitalized with COVID have died. So if you look at public opinion surveys, you would find that there are a lot of Americans whose estimates of those two numbers are off by an order of magnitude or two. So while you want to respect other people's opinion, what do you do when they're just flat out ill-informed. Yeah. Interestingly, I get exactly the same question from people who would absolutely disagree with you, not just on what you've said, but probably on other, you know, political stances. The point is that both sides, the extremes of both sides, feel that way about one another. And the distinction I make is this, Peter, that um, you don't actually have to respect other people's opinions but you do have to respect their humanity. And that's why engaging with them, rather than assuming the worst about them, is a way of humanizing them. Again, just as I told the gentleman before, you don't have to agree with them, but listening is actually in your enlightened self-interest. Why? Because when you go first in the listening department, and ask sincere, not sarcastic questions, you lower their emotional defenses because you've just built trust. Now they know that you're not in this to play gotcha. Now they know you're not in this to treat it as a game and them as your plaything. And because you've lowered their emotional defenses, they can clear the clatter from their heads and they now have the runway, the mental runway, to hear where you are coming from. That is respect. One final thing I'll say about the word respect, and again, it's about respecting the humanity of the individual, not necessarily their opinion. Respect comes from the Latin respectate. Spectate, look. Respectate, look again. Meaning, the first impression I have of somebody based on their political label, based on their demographic label, is not necessarily the final impression I should have of them. There's so much more than that, either label or combination of labels. And I can only really confirm that 
by engaging rather than assuming. Do we have any more questions? Any other questions? Is that, no? We, I'm trying to make sure I don't miss anybody in the back. I'll just quickly point out uh, for those who may in fact want to know more, and especially the teachers in this room, uh, about the pedagogy of moral courage, there is a uh, document in your folder. Uh, I think it's okay. like right at the back, uh, but with an okay, orange great. banner at the top. Uh, and that'll, uh, I'd love you to read it. You'll learn a lot more about why uh, we have the method that we do, uh, including uh, the scientific research behind it. Thank you. Uh, if there's no other questions, uh, I do want to thank you. Oh, is there another question? Oh, we have another one. We have a very inquisitive uh, right. attendee at the I know, back. I love Hold it. on, wait for the wait, microphone. We can't hear you. <laughs> Many groups have a leader, and a leader could be a bully. Mm -hmm. A leader may have a, uh, Oh, an interest in defending. Yeah. But he is the leader of the group. Now, while that group does not, that leader does not want to hear the question. Mm -hmm. And they, you pose uh, a, 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 a self-interested question, and, they, and because that leader does not want to hear it, it's ignored. Yep. Yeah. Um, so, uh, again, as part of our teaching, we make it really clear that um, you can't reason with bullies, right? Um, look at, uh, you know, a slice of humanity is sociopathic, narcissistic, um, you know, um, just not interested, actually, in being understood. Um, so, yeah, I'm not <laughs> saying that this is a silver bullet for every kind of human being that there is. But keep in mind, because again, we all are born with brains that tend to fixate on the negative. Um, keep in mind that the vast majority of humanity is not comprised of sociopaths. Most of us, most of us are normal. And instead of assuming that somebody is a bully because of how they came off, uh, to you one time or because of something that they said or the label that your brain has given them, do yourself the favor and actually confirm that they're a bully by first engaging with them. Mm -hmm. You may find that they're not. And that is the big uh, sort of uh, challenge uh, before all of us today at a time when social media, legacy media, and uh, politics being the new religion, um, all of these factors and more are priming our brains to be on hyper alert and to be reactive rather than responsive. The question is, will we as individuals learn the skills and teach them to a new generation to actually take control and remind our brains, I love you, I respect you, but in this moment, I'm not gonna die because I'm being disagreed with. So I will not let you manipulate or bully me into becoming more defensive than I actually mean to be. That's the speak truth to the power of the ego that is moral courage in an us against them culture. Thank you. Uh, do we have time for one more? Okay, right up here. Just curious, where do, everything you're saying just seems so logical and <laughs> perfect. 
Where do you encounter the most objection? Um, well, you won't be surprised to hear uh, from people who um, insist on being right mm -hmm. or feeling like they are right at every turn. Mm -hmm. And trust me when I say I get it from both ends of the ideological spectrum. And what's interesting, though, I welcome those moments because they give me a chance to role model uh, how you can listen even when you're being disagreed with and not compromise your convictions. In fact, you know, the moral courage method of communicating across divides actually leads to a delicious paradox. And it's not a contradiction, it's a paradox, which is this. You can stand your ground and create common ground at the same time. And how is that? Well, standing your ground is about what you believe. Creating, notice I said creating, not even seeking. Creating common ground is about how you express what you believe. And if you can leave your other feeling respected, the interesting thing is you've just um, you know, set yourself up to get a fair hearing in turn. Hence the enlightened self-interest of listening before uh, you know, uh, insisting that you're right. Thank you for that question. Um, I also think that quickly before we wrap up, I think that question's really great too because what I try to tell um, educators as well is it's not easy. It's not, this approach, right, it's not easy. It takes practice and it's really hard for us, especially as adults. But can you imagine teenagers trying to do this? Wow, right? So that's why training, you're training the teachers and you're having the teachers learn and model and your mentors. That's why this is so important because it's not easy. You hear it and actually trying to do it is really difficult, so. Well, and, 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 and it's interesting, adults tend to be a much bigger problem <laughs> than the teenagers me. themselves do, yeah. really. Yeah. Uh, you know, when I, when I teach right. younger mm -hmm. people that what we're really talking about is taking a both-and approach mm -hmm. rather than an either-or right. approach. Right. And they recognize, oh, that means I still get to hold the convictions that I hold. Yep. I never tell them that they're going to be transformed in the process, <laughs> of course, right? You know? Um, but they are transformed in the process, and mm -hmm. so is their other. Right. And that both and mm -hmm. is very appealing to young people who are still trying to figure it all out. That's great, yes. It can feel threatening yes. to older folks who think, eh, I'm just too old right. to, exactly. you know, continue exploring. And the reality is, especially when you're in education, yes. if you stop being a learner, mm -hmm. you've just signaled to your own students you're done. that they shouldn't bother. Yeah. So wonderful. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, any other? I think we're. That's it. Thank you.